You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. attention to that. The sun, S-O-N, is shining in here. Okay, this book of Acts, very interesting book in the Bible. After having two or three messages on the conversion of Saul, now today we'll be finishing up chapter 9 of Acts, and it's on a different topic altogether. Donna, if you'll come read for us. We'll stand together. Now that I got everybody sitting, we'll stand. Acts 9, 32 through 43. And we'll give our attention to the Word of God. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others, and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room, but the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned to them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Together, I mean, nope. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up then he called in the widows and all the believers and he presented her to them alive you may be seated did we hear that correctly were you listening okay did we actually even hear that correctly today's title is smashing the rock And you may be wondering how this title came about from this passage. That that will be evident to us at the close of the message, not at the beginning. But let's, let's dig into that text. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place. He came down to visit, he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. First thing I want to say is passages like this are a challenge and they're a dilemma for pastors to preach on today in our culture. After a lengthy narrative focused on Saul, Luke now again returns to the work and the ministry of the Apostle Apostle Peter. Peter was going around place to place. He was encouraging and he was strengthening the believers and he arrives in Lydda. Lydda's not particularly significant. It's no better or worse than any other town in that area. But for our geography buffs, it's a town that's slightly northwest of Jerusalem. It's east of Tel Aviv. We've heard of Tel Aviv, right? Not too far from the Mediterranean Sea. It still exists today. Only it's now named Lod, L-O-D, and you can find it on a map, a current map, in, in Israel. And I tell you these these things, I give you the geography of it because I want to take it out of that mystical la-la land as if this happened some sort of fantasy place long ago. 
No, this, this happened in real places on this earth, which many still exist today. Some still have their ancient names. So Peter, he's in Lydda, and something amazing is about to happen. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed. Don't, don't just let the words, the ink on the page deceive us. Think about what it's saying. Picture that in your mind. Think of someone you may know. Aeneas had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Again, passages like these are a dilemma. They're a challenge for pastors today, especially in our country, especially in Western culture. Be honest with ourselves. The church has not really seen much of this. The church has really not experienced much of this. When was the last time we saw somebody that was bedridden, paralyzed, couldn't walk, most likely had help eating with the basic things of life, and without any doctors, without any medical resources, is healed and gets up and is completely normal. When was the last time we saw that? What is there for us to relate to as we read a passage like this? How do you preach this to a congregation in America today in 2021, in Western civilization today? You see the challenge. What's our frame of reference for this? And by the way, I just want to bring to our remembrance that we have just seen a healing, a miracle of biblical proportion. Don't get caught up in the hoopla now that's all around Dakota and the fundraisers and the, and the community stuff, which is all fine. But remember, at the deepest, darkest moment of this crisis, there was one hope, and it was God. And we all knew that. And now God has healed him. And it's beginning to move the other way. And I'm afraid that God is getting lost in the hoopla. He's moving from his first place. Yes, we're still giving credit to God. We are here. Others are as well. But he moved from his sole position in first place. He's kind of getting pushed back through the crowd as now the attention focuses on other things. Just remember, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not being critical of those other things. I'm saying for us, we need to realize we have seen a miracle of biblical proportion. Don't let the information escape us that Melanie told us no one has ever been cured from this disease. Is that correct? No one has ever survived this childhood disease. Is that correct? That we know of. And when they pulled the plug, they said he has hours to live. And you've heard the updates. Man, thank you, Lord, for giving me that, that I can at least relate that to what we're about to talk, say here today. So back to the text. I want you to notice the last word of the verse. Say it good and loud. Instantly. Again. Instantly. You know what it means? It means at once. It means immediately. Yeah, it means instantly. It means on the spot. It doesn't mean gradual. It doesn't mean a process. Immediately at once on the spot. He went from being paralyzed and bedridden for eight years to completely whole. For some reason, Luke, the author, Scripture itself, God himself, they want the readers to know he wants to clearly emphasize this healing was instantaneous, supernatural, on the spot. It was a divine act of God in a moment in time. No earthly props, no resources. God alone, through a believer, Peter, brought this healing to this man in the name of Jesus. Please be careful not to interpret Scripture by your experience. Let Scripture interpret our experiences. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. This could actually be translated, Aeneas, 
at this moment in time, Jesus heals you. And that makes the next phrase significant. Because in this moment you were healed, there's no long sent to a rehab hospital or therapy or recovery process. Since you were healed in this moment, evidence that by picking up your mat, they slept on mats back in those days, pick up your mat and walk out of here. Are you following? I mean, there's some emphasis here. I just want to repeat the verse on the screen. There Peter met a man named Aeneas who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. This should sound vaguely familiar to us. Go back to Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went to the temple. A man lame from birth was being carried in. He asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and said, I don't have any silver and gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Then Peter helped him up. And the man's feet and ankles were, say it loud, instantly, instantly healed. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Six chapters later, Peter's still involved in this insane healing ministry. No sickness was safe when Peter was around. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? No sickness is safe when you're around. So what, and here's the dilemma and challenge for pastors today. What exactly does God want us to get from this? This account of healing in today's text. Why is it even in there? If it's not happening, why is it even in there? Have you ever thought about that? You've read Acts before. You've read the Gospels before. You can't read Scripture without coming across healing in almost every other chapter. Did you ever stop and pause to think, why, it's in, why is that even in there? It's throughout Scripture. From when sickness came into the human race in Genesis 3 on the back of sin, there's been healing since then. Old Testament, New Testament. There is a theological explanation for that. It's not for today, but you can ask me privately if you want to know. Be careful, I might just take back your forgiveness. We know that God has spoken a lot to us about healing in this church. We know that we had a bizarre word back in, in close to our inception that said this church would have a healing ministry where people brought their sick and they were healed. I don't know exactly why it's in there, but there is one thing I do know. And maybe I shouldn't have even said I don't know exactly why it's in there because I think I do. Let me just say one thing I know for sure. It's not just in there so that we're aware it happened once. Can I get an amen on that? This is not just in here so that we can say, wow, they must have been some times to live. How about it? That's not why it's in there. There has to be a greater purpose than that. There is a greater purpose than that. Think on this, please. Is going to challenge your thinking. Jesus heals you. Both of these instances, Jesus healed this man, the men. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. Something has changed, right? Because we're not seeing it. But he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He healed through his church his believers back then, and he heals through his church through believers today. That's the plan. Actually, it's one of the primary ways that God displays his power. It's one of the primary ways he displays his unequaled 
greatness. It's one of the primary ways he displays his glory, his awesome glory, is through healing sickness and disease. Thank you. Maybe one of the reasons we're not seeing it happen is because we're not very excited about it. We don't really care if it happens. I care. I care a lot about this. Let's continue on in the text. As if this healing isn't enough, it's going to get even more insane. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha. She became ill and she died. Her body was washed for burial, laid in an upstairs room. Peter was nearby at Lydda. We just talked about that. So they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. Peter returned with them. He knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. She sat up. He called in all the believers. And he presented her to them alive. Again, I'll start with for our geography buffs. Peter now travels from from Lydda to Joppa. Joppa is just a little further west towards the Mediterranean Sea. Joppa today is a neighborhood in Tel Aviv. What to note about this message? Please listen. Lord, would you give us ears to hear only what you want us to hear? What to note about this? First, please note, Tabitha died. D-I-E-D, Tabitha died. Her body was washed for burial, similar to being embalmed and laid upstairs. And interesting, Luke says that when Peter spoke, he spoke to the body. He didn't speak to Tabitha. Why? At this point, she wasn't there. He spoke to a lifeless body. He spoke to a dead body. Are you with me? Don't shoot the messenger. I'm preaching what's in the word. Luke and the scriptures and God himself, they want to be very clear in this account They do not want this account to be minimized. They do not want this account to be diminished. diminished. They wanted to be sure that the reader is understanding what is being said. There's no room for misdiagnosis here. She was not in a coma. She died. Her body was embalmed. But they didn't bury her because they were waiting for Peter to come first. Just because. Maybe. God, through Peter, resurrected Tabitha from the dead and brought her back to life. No hocus-pocus, no sensationalism. God just doing what our God can do. God just doing what our God does through his people. And this time it was through Peter. Hmm. This puts me in mind, at least, of a familiar verse we've heard recently. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. But I'm pretty sure that only meant in the first century. You? Jesus Christ, the same today or yesterday, today, and forever. Healing folks, raising folks from the dead, Casting out demons, setting the captives free, and what should have probably been first leading people to salvation, to know the Lord, they were some of the things Jesus did. And they were also the things that he assigned his followers to do. Old Testament and New Testament. Even raising people from the dead is not just a New Testament phenomena. It's throughout the Old Testament. This next verse may blow your mind. It it did mine. Matthew 10, 8. I know this verse, you do too, and I never saw this before. 
It lists the things that God... It's when, well, give me, let me give you the setting first. The context is when Jesus sent his disciples out to do ministry in the villages where he would then go behind them and bring greater clarification. Are you surprised what's in this verse? Remember, he sent his disciples out with this assignment. It was preach the good news. The kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick. What's that next phrase? Say that good and loud. Yeah, you want your brain to hear this. Say it again. I don't know that I ever saw that before. I was all over, preach the gospel, you know, announce the kingdom, heal the sick, set the captives free. I don't think I ever saw that a direct assignment to the believers, the disciples, was to raise the dead. Peter obviously got it. You'll see later, Paul also gets it because he brought somebody back from the dead. The power of God that's available to the church is beyond our ability to comprehend, to grasp or imagine. The things that God wants to do through his people for his glory is beyond our ability to even grasp in today's church. It's gotten lost over the centuries. It's gotten stolen over the centuries. And we're weak and we're impotent and Satan's just having his way in this world because of it. So, like, what conclusion can we draw here? So I said these kind of passages in Scripture are a challenge. They're a dilemma for any pastor who wants to stay accurate and true to the Word of God. You can find commentaries on this passage where they said she probably was in a coma. It was a misdiagnosis. Or there was some kind of medicine available for the conditions that were healed. Because we can't quite grasp that this could actually happen the way it happened. We explain it away. Because we judge the Word of God by our experiences. That can't be what the Word of God meant. When we need to judge our experiences by the Word of God, that's exactly what it meant. Why isn't it happening now? I'm yelling at you guys, but I'm yelling at myself too. I'm in the same boat. I have never raised anybody from the dead. I've never really seen that dramatic of a healing. I prayed for you, Heather, and commanded that whatever it was to leave, and it left. But, man, they're so few and far between for me. We just have a natural tendency to reject this. Because what's the conclusion here? If these were assignments from Jesus to his believers back then, and he doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then wait a minute. What could that mean? The church today? Followers of Jesus, believers today? Now this really gets out there. You... You and me? Hmm. That's what kind of this, that's what this, that's what this kind of truth does to you. And I feel like God gave me this phrase to say to us and it's this receive this with your spirit not your brain our brains can't handle it our brains they will not compute this it does not compute our brains will explode you gotta we gotta ask god to help us receive this with our spirit our spirits receive spiritual truth our minds will reject it so I will ask that right now, Father, for those of us who have ears to hear what your Spirit's saying to the church, for those of us who even care, really, 
Would you help us to hear and receive this with our spirit and then let our spirit instruct our soul and our soul speak to our mind and then carry out your will as you use your church mightily in these days to bring you great glory and to bring many souls, but that's for later. Praise you, Lord. See, we need to actually meditate on this kind of stuff because if we just read over it, our brains will reject it and we'll just move on. We've never seen it. We don't have a clue. We need to read passages like this, be alone with the Lord, and ask Him to speak to us about it. And let Him speak deep into your spirit. Deep cries out to deep. God, show us these deep secrets of your word. Reveal these deep truths of your word to us. Man, you know, you've heard this. We live in a micro a microwave society, even our devotions, and even, even those of us who do spend time with the Lord, it's a microwave time with the Lord. There's no time for him to soak in his presence, meditate on his word, and have him let, it, have, let him speak this stuff to us and begin to convince us of it. Are you with me? Man, we're just so fast-paced. We're just rushing through life caught up in so many lesser pursuits and God's trying to get his people's attention because he has so many deep things he wants to talk to us about and so many amazing things he wants to do through us. A.W. Tozer wrote a book, God Tells the Man Who Cares. The person who cares enough to get with God and ask him and it doesn't happen overnight. He's not going to reveal these deep truths to you tomorrow, to us tomorrow morning. It's a long period of time of soaking in his presence, meditating on his word, and you won't even notice it at first, but you begin to, tra- you begin to change dramatically. I don't hear any amens, but I see some heads shaking. You know I'm not a mind reader. I know you greatly respect your pastor, but I'm not a mind reader. And when I look at you, I can't really tell what you're thinking. I need to hear it. Preach it, brother. Amen. That's truth. Shout it. This is what this kind of truth will do to us. So the conclusion of the matter. Why is this even significant? Does it really even matter if we experience these kind of things? Is there even any value in this type of things? Or do we just get along just fine today without it? The value of these types of signs and wonders that we read about today, insane healings, raising of the dead, the value of signs, wonders, and miracles like these are not the signs, wonders, and miracles of themselves, in themselves. So don't get caught up in seeking them for them. The value is in the result that's produced by the signs, wonders, and miracles. Acts 9.35, after the healing of the lame man, then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around. And what did they do? They turned to the Lord. You know, it doesn't say anywhere in here where everybody ran up and gushed over Peter. They turned to the Lord. Acts 9.42, this is after the raising of of Tabitha from the dead. The news of Tabitha spread through the whole town and... Come on! I need to see some excitement out there. Or seriously, aren't you excited about this? Aren't you excited about God and what he wants to do in your life? The value and the purpose of supernatural signs and wonders and miracles is that many turn to the Lord. They come to faith in Him. Folks coming to know Jesus is the primary and it's the greatest purpose in these supernatural acts of God through His church. That's what we need to know from today's passage. God will show us or we will figure out with God showing us how to move in that. And I honestly believe that we and many other churches in the United States that are waking up, the rising remnant, the ecclesia, we are going to begin to walk in these things because it's God's ordained plan, not because we're anything special or have any ability of our own. It's because God wants to do this again. He wants to restore this ministry to the church. The world needs it. 
We don't really need it that much, although many of us need healed. But the world needs the church walking in this power of God. The resurrection power of Christ is within you for a reason. Not so that it just sits in this pew and goes through life and enjoys life and is comfortable and convenient. The power of Christ resides in you and me for others who don't yet know him. For his name's sake. That's why. So I want to close by explaining today's title, and this is extremely important. So don't, don't lose me here. Smashing the Rock. How did this title come about from this passage? Well, Jeremiah 23, 29 says this. Is my word not like a mighty hammer? Is my word not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces. Think about that. God's word is a rock, is a hammer that smashes rock to pieces. Think of concrete work. Some of you have done that or you're involved in that. Think of the sledgehammer. Or today we have those powerful jackhammers. You bring that constantly against the concrete and what finally happens? The concrete breaks up to pieces. The word smash means to break apart into pieces, to crush, even to pulverize. See, the end result, the rock is no longer an obstacle. You remove the rock with your sledgehammer or your jackhammer. Now that, op, now that rock is no longer an obstacle to what you wanted to accomplish. Are you with me? Yes. Don't, don't lose me here. This is the most important part of the message. God likens his word to a hammer that keeps smashing the rock until it disintegrates. God's word is the hammer. Strongholds in our thinking that are not of God and that are not in line with his ways are the rocks. Following that, God's, ha God's word is the hammer. Strongholds in our thinking, the way we think, are the rocks. These are strongholds in our thinking that keep us from experiencing all God has for us because this stronghold has been built up over years and when we hear truth, it gets distorted through that stronghold and never gets to accomplish what it was sent to do. That stronghold has to be removed before we can clearly hear. That's why you're, you're so clear about your message on Jesus. And you tell somebody else and they're like, huh? And you're like, didn't they even hear that? How can they not get it? Because there's strongholds in their thinking through which they run truth. And that truth gets distorted. And what you said, unfortunately, is not what they heard. That stronghold first has to be taken down. And God's word is a hammer that smashes that stronghold in pieces. Other weapons as well, prayer, but today we're looking at his word. God's word hammers away at those strongholds until the rock is gone, it's no, until the stronghold is gone, it's no longer an obstacle, and our thinking is brought into submission to his thinking. That's why after a while, somebody gave you the word of God for salvation, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you accept Jesus. And then somebody who knew you 10 years ago said, well, I told you that. I remember when I first got saved, accusing the Lord. Isn't that an interesting thing? It's a losing battle. But I remember when I first got saved, telling the Lord, I never heard this, never. Well, he pulled back the veil. The time I was hitchhiking from Wilkes-Barre, trying to get home from Columbia, and a preacher picked me up and preached at me the whole way down 81. And me and my friend just scoffed at him. I heard it. My friends who went to a Pentecostal meeting when we were in college, my roommates, and when they came back and were telling me everything that happened, and I told them, you need to stay away from them. They're whacked. I heard the gospel there, too. I heard the gospel so many times, but it ran through the strongholds in my thinking that distorted it, and I, I couldn't get it. And then people were praying for me, and other things happened, and on January 16th, 1980, I heard the gospel, and I'm like, 
oh my gosh, I see it. I understand it. And I received Jesus as my Savior. That's 41 plus years ago. And it's been great and has never changed since then. Ups and downs, yeah. But that truth has never changed. I got it. Well, now there's these huge boulders in my thinking that are preventing me from understanding some of the fullness of truth that God wants me to know, to live out. And it's the sledgehammer of God's word that's going to break down that rock finally. And I'm going to be able to believe. I'm going to be able to receive it. And then move in it. You can never move in it until you first receive it. Here's a question as we close. What rock, well, we're getting close to closing. It's like the, it's like the Apostle Paul. And finally, brothers, two more chapters. Question, what rock or stronghold has God been using his word to hammer on us these days? What stronghold or what, what rock or stronghold has God been using his word to hammer on us? in these days. Anybody want to venture an answer? Unbelief. Man, God is taking the church to task on unbelief these days. You say, well, I don't, I believe. I know you do, and so do I. This is an intentional unbelief. This is unbelief that has built up over years of never experiencing it, of hearing other teaching that waters it down. Oh, she was in a coma. Don't believe that that was a, that, that stuff doesn't happen. Unbelief that has built up over years in us, in many areas. Unbelief is not a good thing. It's a huge hindrance and obstacle to the work of God. You may be astounded, and this may be an ouch, when you, when you see the biblical definition of unbelief. It starts with a general lack of trust in God. It's a lack of trust in the truth of God's word. So if you read this, and then if you're diligent enough to study and see there's no way this can mean anything else than she died, but you say, oh, she was probably in a coma, see, that's unbelief. It's a lack of trust in the truth of God's word. When you say that, well, these things aren't really for today because blah, 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 but then you read in the word that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you choose not to believe that, that's unbelief. These aren't for today, that's unbelief. And we walk in that regularly, and it's not intentional, and we're not bad people, we just have these strongholds in our thinking. It's a, it's a lack of trust in the power of God. God can't really do that. God can't get somebody out of a wheelchair today. God couldn't heal Dakota. Nobody has ever survived that childhood disease. And you know people that you would look at and you would at least subconsciously say, no, God will never do that. Can't do that today. It's a lack of trust in the promises of God. How many things has he promised us and we're not trusting him for it? We're still worrying and fretting. It's a lack of trust in the faithfulness of God. Do you realize how insulting it is when we don't trust these other things? We don't really think he's faithful. Well, I believe he's going to provide for my needs. But you know what, honey? I'm getting a second job. Well, second job may or may not be, may be good or bad for us, but didn't you just say, you know, God is going to provide our needs? And this is a very huge stronghold in our minds. It's a lack of trust in the willingness of God. He would never do that for me. If I ask you, can God heal, like for in this church at least, can God heal the most devastating case of sickness or illness, you would say, yes. And I said, is God willing to heal it? Is he going to heal it? Oh, I got this toothache. And I'm trusting the dentist to take care of it. Isn't that terrible? And I knew I was preaching on this today. Preaching on this today. 
And I'm like, Lord, I'm going up there and preach on bizarre, insane healing, and I have a toothache that I can't get rid of. Yeah. Oh, surely God doesn't do that kind of stuff today. You go to the dentist and get it fixed. How harmful is this? How harmful is unbelief? Maybe it's really not that bad. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them. Hmm. Sounds pretty significant, doesn't it? Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them. See, Pastor Rob, we're not seeing any of this stuff, so he doesn't act like that today. And you know what I would say? We're not seeing any of this stuff because we walk in unbelief. Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. So even in the midst of the unbelief, he healed a few sick people. Oh, that's what we see. We've seen a few people get healed. But we've never seen the healing ministry of Jesus Christ pour out. Am I right? Am I right? How harmful is unbelief? How hindering is it? It's clearly huge in the area of healing. He wanted to heal all their sick. That's what Jesus did, you know. That's who he is. That's what he did. He healed all their sick. He wanted to heal all their sick. He could only heal a few. I guess maybe they were the ones that had belief. I don't know. It doesn't say. And it says that Jesus was amazed. And it said that in other places he was amazed with people. But this is not a good amazed. This is a disappointing, head-shaking amazed at their unbelief. Could it be that our unbelief is hindering God from accomplishing all that he desires to do through us? Now, real quick, is there a solution? There is. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. The context is the healing and deliverance of a demon-possessed boy. Must have been a very strong, powerful demon because the disciples were not able to cast it out. So the dad turns and says to Jesus, please help us if you can. And if you read the passage, you're going to snicker because Jesus, in essence, replies, what do you mean? What do you mean, if I can? This is no problem for me. This is no problem for Jesus. And in case you haven't heard, Jesus lives in you. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in you. Come on. Because Jesus then goes on to say, anything is possible for the one who believes. He didn't even say, for me. He said, anything is possible for the one who believes. Now, if you're wondering why the the, uh, disciples couldn't cast it out, it's on them. Later, they asked Jesus, hey, why couldn't we do it? And he just looked at them and he said, basically, because of your unbelief. The phrase is because of your little faith. But it's not little like small because a grain a faith the grain faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. So it's not like little. The word means neglected. Neglected. Because you never really diligently pursued all that is available to you. When you came up against this situation, you couldn't cope with it. You weren't ready. Had you been following me, listening to what I said when I sent you out to heal the sick and raise the dead, if you would have started to believe that, you could have handled this. Because anyone who puts their trust in me will do the same things that I have done. Whew, I know. I got to be careful they're going to commit me somewhere saying stuff like this. I, I really appreciate you guys. I have the freedom to say it in here. Once I get out those doors, that's a little... Do you follow what's going on here, though? I do believe, 
Help me overcome my unbelief. The dad's response is classic, and it's the solution to unbelief. And first, there must be confession. There must be, Lord, I confess. Now that I've heard this, I realize I am steeped in unbelief. And I also know that I can't change myself or I would have. Is there an amen there? If I could have changed myself, I would have years ago. If I could just step into unbelief I w- or to belief, I would have. There's too many rocks up there. Rockhead. There's too many rocks up there that are resisting what God's trying to say. But he's faithfully, he's faithfully to me, to us, bringing the rock of his word against, bringing the hammer of his word against that rock. And he's smashing that rock of unbelief in pieces for those of us who will allow. So after we confess it, honest confessing, as we go to worship in a few minutes and you feel this is you, just confess to God, I know there's a level of unbelief in me and I want it out of there. And then ask him to overcome and ask him to release faith. Faith is the opposite of unbelief. Ask him to pull out the the unbelief, smash that rock of unbelief in us. And it's not going to happen overnight. But ask him to just keep faithfully smashing that rock of unbelief in our thinking and replace it with faith, faith, faithful thinking. Are we good? We got it? Today's purpose, you've heard it, is to further dismantle the stronghold of unbelief in us. God continues, for some reason he has chosen this body and others, but we're here, he has chosen this body to continually bring this hammer of his word against our unbelief, especially in the area of healing. And the reason he's so faithful, even when we're not, the reason he's so faithfully smashing that rock of unbelief is because of the great kingdom purposes he has for us. Did you get that last thing? The great kingdom purposes he has for us. Why are we concerned about divine and supernatural and even insane healings? Oh, because we want to see it. What's it look like? No, because, see, people get set free. People get saved when that happens. People begin to glorify and worship God when that happens. That's why we get all excited about it. Hey, we could just go home to heaven right now, and then who cares? But we're here, and we have a mission, and there's so many hurting people out there. So that's why we care. That's why we want to see this. That's why we want to walk in this for others' sake, for his glory, for others' sake. As we close out in worship, if you find a need in yourself, confess the unbelief and ask God to release faith in its place. Don't let that space empty. Don't just confess unbelief. You know that story. Demon will come back with seven others stronger. Confess the unbelief. Ask God to replace it with faith. Um, Bob, would you come forward, please? And Sonny, if you'll bring the band up. Yep. We have seen it. We saw it three weeks ago. We were praying for a boy that was fighting for his life. And look at where he's at today. Yep, thank you. He's reminding us of Dakota, right? Yes. Yep. So we'll get the worship team up here. Ron, if you'll turn on the monitor so we can hear when Bob prays. Oftentimes we're up there, and if they're not on, we don't hear what's being prayed. We'll stand. Jamie's already ahead of the game there. He's up. I'll come up in a minute, but I want to be in front of the speaker and I want to be prayed for. Is that okay? Yeah. I'm up there. I can't hear. Okay. You You, you just want to hear his prayer or you want to be prayed for? Well, he's going to pray for Because if you want to be prayed for, maybe other people... Well, Father, you heard, you heard the pastor bring the word to us today. You knew exactly what it was because you gave him the word, Father. And Father, first of all, I, I want to be the first to confess 
that there is unbelief in my life. And, and Lord, I ask that you would remove that and, and fill it with faith. Fill that space with faith. Uh, unbelief seems to be something that's uh, kind of in the climate of the church today. Uh, uh, all without, you know, we don't intentionally do it, Father. We don't intentionally not believe. It's just, it's been kind of poured on us, I think, sometimes. So, Father, we need help. We need your help. We need you to uh, smash that rock of unbelief in our lives. You, we need you to to come and fill that empty space that's left with your faithfulness, Father. Just praise you, Lord. Now, Father, uh, there's many of us, myself included, that has issues, you know. <laughs> For me, it's, it's bones and stuff like that. For other people, it's stomach issues. It's all kinds of things, Father, out there that the enemy has, has uh, laid on us and we've kept it because we didn't know. We didn't know. But, Father, right now we want to put the enemy on notice that we're no longer going to stand for that because it is Jesus Christ who heals us. And, Father, we stand be. Our enemy, we stand before anybody, actually, that says Jesus can't, and we says he does. Anytime we, and, and all we need to do, Father, our part, our part is to get up and walk. So, Father, no longer, no longer can we say, I wonder if he healed me. We just get up and walk. Yeah. Yeah. So, Father, you have stretched forth your strong hand. You have spoken the promises of Jesus that we are healed. You have spoken it in his name. Just praise your name, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name. We will live and not die in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.